Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week. Coverage of the NBA Finals here at Hoops Tonight is brought to you by Chase Freedom Unlimited. How do you cash back? Well, today, June 13th, is the first full calendar day in franchise history that the Denver Nuggets are NBA champions. And so for today, we're going to entirely focus in on Denver. I have uh, We're going to do our Chase three-point segment, kind of focusing on last night's game. And just a couple of the interesting things that we didn't have a chance to talk about last night with Colin Cowherd. So we'll hit that at the beginning of the show. Then I want to do a deep dive just into what this Denver team accomplished, what Nikola Jokic accomplished. Kind of a little bit of a brief dip into contextualizing it all time. I don't want to go too heavy into it because I want to save some of that stuff for this summer. And then I want to do a shout out of Jamal Murray as well. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. All right, let's talk some basketball. So for our Chase Three Points segment, we're going to hit on three things that I found particularly interesting in last night's series-clinching win by the Denver Nuggets. So first of all, number one... I thought it was really interesting that Spolster went all in on zone. So to give you an idea of kind of the pathway of zone throughout the series, and you guys might remember when I was breaking down some of the film, I was on the Miami side of things saying, I think their best chance to win is to go all in on zone because they just weren't having much success at all, stopping the two-man game and man-to-man situations except for in game two which was just an unbelievable defensive performance from Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. And outside of that, they were kind of getting cooked. But consistently against the zone, they uh, or with the zone, they had some success slowing Denver down. So they uh, ran zone for 39 possessions total in games one and two. They were well below a point per possession allowed in game one when they ran zone. If you remember in game two when Miami stole that game, they got stops in their zone on 10 of the first 13 possessions in the fourth quarter as they uh, uh, turned a deficit into a, uh, I think they went up like nine or something like that at that point in the fourth quarter. But then when they went back to Miami, they barely used it. They used it only 12 possessions combined in games three and four, which was an interesting decision from Eric Spolstra. In those 12 possessions, once again, they held Denver well below a point per possession. They actually didn't use it at all in game four. I think a big part of that was Denver kind of stiff-armed them enough that the games never really felt like they were gettable for Miami. And I think Spolster kind of was holding the zone back. Well, he broke it out big time in Game 5. 32 possessions, by far the most, that he used the zone in this series. 
in those possessions, they held Denver to 0.66 points per possession. So if you're wondering how Miami did kind of sort of make a game of Game 5 in the way that they couldn't in the previous two games, I thought a big part of it was Spolstra finally leaning 100% in on zone. Now, would that have changed the series? Probably not, because the truth of the matter is, is lots and lots of reps are exactly what a team needs to solve a zone. You know, I talk a lot about zone as a rhythm disruptor, and there's a reason for that. So, for instance, during the uh, in the entire regular season, 82 games, the Nuggets faced zone only 218 possessions. Think about that. Over 7,000 possessions against man-to-man defense, only 218 against zone. It's less than 3% of their total offensive possession. So you just don't get a lot of reps against it during the regular season. Just in the finals, they were hit, they went against it 83 times total. So almost half as much as they did in the entire regular season in terms of reps just in the NBA finals. And, you know, you're used to getting your shots as a player. There's a rhythm not just with a player with his ball handling and shooting, but there's a rhythm to a five-man unit on offense. You get accustomed to getting shots in a certain way, right? Like Murray and Jokic are accustomed to getting shots in pick and roll a certain way. KCP, Michael Porter Jr. are accustomed to getting certain shots in those kickout situations in pick and roll. Obviously, Aaron Gordon's used to getting his duck-ins and his cuts and things along those lines. And when you flip it to a zone, suddenly the rhythm of the way the team gets those shots changes fundamentally. And and that can honestly uh, spring some of these shooting slumps like what happened last night. As a matter of fact, um, in spot-up situations... Uh, Denver scored just 14 points on 24 spot-up possessions. So that was number two on my list of most interesting things from last night game. Last night's game. Uh, as a result of Spolstra going all-in on zone, he discombobulated Denver's offense so much that they scored just 14 points on 24 spot-up possessions, barely over a half a point per possession. Now, again, this is I'm hitting on two Miami positive things here to kind of queue up number 3 on this list, which was Denver's defense. Because in spite of all of that, in spite of Eric Spolstra's all-in on zone approach, in spite of throwing off Denver's offense to the tune of their spot-up shooters barely converting at over a half a point per possession, Denver won last night and they hoisted the trophy. How did they do that? They did it on the defensive end of the floor. If you guys remember, and I want to I want to specifically hone in on Denver's pick and roll defense. So if you guys remember in game two, um, when Denver was really, really sloppy, if you guys remember I said it was Denver's worst defensive performance of the entire postseason, they allowed almost a point and a half per possession in pick and roll. They held, last night, Miami to 22 points on 42 pick and rolls. Think about how insane that is. That's including passes, by the way. 0.524 points per possession in pick and roll. Basically a third of what they allowed in game two. I talked a lot about this last night with Colin, but sometimes we focus, and this is one of the many lessons that I've learned in this particular season, and we're going to do one of the off-season videos we're going to do actually this week before I head out of town. Um, we're going to do like kind of like we did last year, like a lessons I learned from the season kind of thing. And one of the lessons that I learned is, you know, one of the ways that we have to evaluate defense is not necessarily just what a defense is capable of during the regular season in aggregate, but also what they are capable of against specific matchups. It's not necessarily can you guard at a extremely high level against all 30 NBA teams. It's can you guard the Timberwolves and can you guard the Suns and can you guard the Lakers and can you guard the Heat, right? It's about matchups. And they were able to craft a defense that functioned against all four of those teams. As a matter of fact, they finished the playoff run with a 110.2 defensive rating, which is pretty damn good. As a matter of fact, Golden State last year, which was, I believe, if I remember correctly, the second best defense in the regular season, they finished last year's postseason with a 109.6 defensive rating on their way to a championship. So Denver finished just six-tenths of a point behind last year's champion in their ability to get stops on a per-possession basis, again, because they found ways to stop the specific matchups they were playing against. 
I had a lot of Denver fans in my mentions over the course of the last couple of days like, oh, well, you undervalued Denver's defense. They were actually pretty good. No, they weren't. They weren't good this season. They were outside of the top 10 in every single month during the regular season except for January. There was one month in there in January where they were fourth in defense. Every other month, they were pretty bad. Um Post-All-Star break, they were still 15th. There was no stretch of defense that was significant where the Nuggets really competed during the regular season. They were just consistently okay. They were consistently a middle-of-the-pack defense during the regular season. But they found a way in the postseason to craft a defense that functionally got stops against their specific matchups. And that's all that matters. And that's what's funny. Golden State was a dominant defense last year that defended well almost every single month and finished the season second in defensive rating. And they, on a per-possession basis, were more or less the same impactful defense as Denver in this postseason. So credit to Denver, credit to Mike Malone, credit to everybody in that unit for doing their job. And that's what, what I thought was really interesting from a schematic approach, bringing Jokic higher out of pick and rolls because he's not a great rim protector in a pick and roll scheme, although he did really well protecting the rim in ISO. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in pick and roll, asking him to block lobs and defend against slashing guys coming down at him at full speed, that's not weaponizing his strengths. But Jokic is a high IQ player with great hands. So bringing him up in pick and roll was really smart because that allowed him to kind of slap down at the ball on pull-up shooters and dissuade those little pocket passes and swing passes with his hands rather than having him back at the rim where he was going to be of lower impact. And Jokic got a ton of deflections over the tail half of this particular series up at the level of the screen. So Jokic did a great job in his individual job, and then they brought Aaron Gordon underneath the rim as that low man to kind of take on more of those rim protection responsibilities, and then they were really, really sharp on the back end with their rotations. That's how they crafted a defense that worked in this particular postseason run. And then, again, in isolation in post-up situations. So, uh, Jokic played a cup against a couple of guys, in Anthony Davis and Bam in particular, little Carl Towns as well, guys that actually tried to attack him. And again, those are those guys aren't the greatest offensive bigs in the world. Bam and AD are more known for defense, but Jokic is also considered a relatively easy target as an isolation, at least considered a relatively easy easy target. And it just wasn't the case in this postseason run. Players attempted 19 shots against Jokic in ISO and post situations in this playoff run, and they scored just seven of those 19 shots. That's just 37% from the field. So even in isolation situations when teams were like, oh, we've got Jokic on an island with Bam, or we got Jokic on an island with AD, Jokic was stonewalling those dudes. So again, within the concept of what they needed in this playoff run, Denver's defense was more than good enough. Now, will there be a team that they face in the future? Like, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. If you list out the top eight records in the league, like if you took all the teams in the regular season and ranked them by win percentage from 1 to 30, the top eight teams, Denver didn't have to play any of those guys. They all, they faced, a, the highest seed they faced was a four seed. Now, that's not their fault. You play who's in front of you, and those teams at the top clearly had flaws because they got beat. But there will be teams in the future that I think will challenge Denver's defense to a greater extent. But then again, they dominated this postseason run. So we will find out at that point if their offense is enough to overcome that in particular. But within this particular postseason run, given the competition that they faced, they were able to get more than enough stops, which is a super interesting trend in NBA history. This is the first team in decades that does not have a top 10 defense in the regular season and was not a defending champion that won an NBA title. So that's how good this Denver offense was. And that's how smart this Denver team was in what they did defensively. They were able to break a decades-old trend in the NBA. I also wanted to shout out the, all the guys on the roster and Mike Malone because we talk a lot about details on this show, right? Like static half-court situations are a great way to measure talent, but everything around that situation is about coaching and effort and focus, attention to detail, all those particular things. This was a great transition defense. They were fourth in transition frequency allowed in the regular season, meaning they were the fourth best team at preventing teams from getting out in transition. And they were third out of all the playoff teams in preventing teams of, uh, 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 from getting out in transition. And then rebounding. They grabbed 53.8% of available rebounds in this postseason run. 
That was the best out of all of the teams that played in this playoff field. So ending defensive possessions by preventing teams from getting on the offensive glass and keeping them out of transition, those are little details that helped keep those defensive ratings down. Again, like if I look at that defensive rating, they finished the playoff run at 110.2, which was only six-tenths of a point worse than Golden State last year. A huge part of that is being really, really sharp on the details. That's what it's, again, we talk like, it's like same thing with Jamal Murray. When we're talking about Jamal Murray all time, there are going to be people that are going to be like, oh, well, he's playing with Jokic. So it's easier for him. Yeah, you're right. But who cares? This is a basketball team. And Jamal Murray contributes to this particular basketball team in terms of actual production at a level that is that of a star. So even if you don't think he's a star, he sure as hell is for this team. And the same thing goes for the defensive end. Like if you're out there and you're like, oh, well, Denver didn't play a truly great offense. Yeah, you're right. But it doesn't matter. In this postseason run, the the teams that won were the teams that won and Denver beat all those guys. So I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, they have the Larry OB. And this is just the way things shook out. It's not about... Get being a, a great defense in a vacuum. It's about being a great defense against your opponents in that postseason run. Denver was. They got the deal done. Um, but that th- those were just some notes from last night's game. Our three points were brought to you by Chase Freedom Unlimited. Unlimited 1.5% cash back is just the beginning. Un- earn 3% on dining at restaurants, including takeout and eligible delivery services. 3% on drugstore purchases. 5% on travel Purchase through Chase Ultimate Rewards and 1.5% on all other purchases. How do you cash back? Angie's list is now Angie, your home for everything home. Angie doesn't just get your home projects done. Angie gets them done well. With 20 plus years of experience combined with new tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. With over 220,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to get the job done well. The pros in the network are locally based and they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area who have actually used their services. Y'all know what it's like to own a home. You walk around, like I walk into the kitchen the other day and my refrigerator is just making this horrible grinding noise. Or on Saturday, we were having a pool party. I had to use a couple outlets that I hadn't used in a while and I found three or four outlets around the house that just didn't work. And that's super annoying. But the best part about Angie is it's a great tool to help you find the best available deal to get that work done and to get it done right. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site, you can have Angie tackle your home service project from start to finish. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. A couple other quick notes uh, from last night. Uh, KCP, the champion KCP. I told you guys, you Denver fans, that I loved rooting for KCP when he was with the Lakers. He was one of my favorite players on that team. Made so many big plays for that Laker team on their way to an NBA championship. He had a massive three on the left wing in last night's game. He had a clutch steal on that Jimmy Butler drive at the end of the game. Hit a couple of clutch free throws as well. Even though he struggled at times during the series as part of Miami's defensive scheme, you just could count on KCP to make some huge plays in that game, and he did. Bruce Brown, a nightmare offensive game. I think he was something crazy, like 4 for 14 from the field. Uh, but he had that massive offensive rebound put back at the end of the game. And it was an interesting note on uh, on Denver's size because on the play, I can't remember who took the shot on the right wing. It might have been uh, Jamal Murray, I think, took a tough fadeaway. But on that play, um, I think it was Jimmy Butler boxing out Aaron Gordon Lowry's guarding Bruce Brown and Lowry knows that Jimmy needs help with Aaron Gordon because how big he is. So Lowry double teams Aaron Gordon on the box out, which leaves Bruce Brown a free run to the rim to get the offensive rebound put back. So again, like that overall size was just so dominant for Denver throughout this series. And this is my last note that I wanted to hit the inevitability of Denver. So Miami takes a one point lead with less than three minutes left on a Jimmy Butler post up. And Denver goes down and runs a two-man game. Uh, They have Caleb Martin on Jamal Murray and Bam Adebayo on Nikola Jokic. They switch it. On the switch, Murray runs to the right corner, which is the strong side corner, which most NBA teams will not help out of, especially with a good shooter like Jamal Murray. That pins Bam Adebayo out of the play to where he can't help. Then Nikola Jokic just attacks that side of the floor on Caleb Martin, gets all the way to the rim for a wide-open layup. Literally nothing. Again, pivotal possession, down by one, final three minutes of an NBA Finals game, 
and Denver just gets this incredibly easy basket by virtue of their unguardability because there was just nothing Miami could do. Um, in the Bruce Brown putback, same type of thing. Miami goes back and takes the lead again. Miami gets a stop this time, but because they had to double team Aaron Gordon on a box out because he's freaking huge, you get this easy putback for Bruce Brown and they take the lead again. So again, when the chips were down, Denver won with the same strengths that they demonstrated all season long. And I love that. I love that kind of, um, that kind of symmetry in basketball, you know, like you don't win with luck. You win with what makes you great. And what made Denver great all season long was the unguardable two-man game of uh, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic and their overwhelming size on the glass. And those were the two pivotal plays that won them the trophy. I loved that. Um, a little thing that I love about basketball. All right, so let's now kind of zoom out a little bit on this particular postseason run. Start with Nikola Jokic. So finishes the playoff run averaging 30 points, 14 rebounds, and 10 assists on 63% true shooting, which is obviously amazing. 30, 14, and 7 in the finals on 67% true shooting. Some play type data, 1.05 points per possession in ISO. That's great. Uh, 1.11 points per possession in the post, including passes. That's incredible. 1.26 points per possession in roll man possessions. That's incredible. 25 offensive rebound putbacks. So we averaged more than one a game, just grabbing the ball and putting it back in the rim off of a miss. Um, some shot type data. He shot 42% on catch and shoot jump shots. Remember last year with his wrist injury, he just couldn't make a jump shot to save his life. That was a big one that ended up helping them. 46% from three. That's obviously ridiculous. Rescue possessions. Jokic took 28 off-the-dribble jump shots and made 14 of them. So he shot 50% on pull-up jump shots. Now, a lot of those are those crazy, uh, like, one-legged step-back fadeaway shots that he takes. He shot 50% on floaters, 57% on hook shots, and was 65% at the rim. Some crazy passing data. He, uh, The Denver Nuggets scored 23.7 points per game just on Nikola Jokic assists. How crazy is that? So that means that in total, Nikola Jokic generated over 54 points per game in this postseason run between scoring and passing. Uh, zooming out, kind of looking at things all time. Again, I'm going to do a ranking of all the all time playoff runs uh, later on this summer. So I don't want to give it any sort of specific number, but just kind of looking at it at first glance. It's certainly one of the very best offensive playoff runs that you've ever seen in terms of scoring volume, playmaking, efficiency, and the quality of defenses he faced going against Rudy Gobert, going against Anthony Davis, going against Bam Adebayo. Those are three of the very best front court defenders that we have in the league, and he just thrashed all of them. Um, as a team for Denver, I thought this was one of the most dominant team playoff runs we've ever seen. They were never truly threatened. They had a net rating of eight, meaning they outscored teams by eight points per 100 possessions in the playoffs. That is the highest since the Warriors in 2017 and 2018, which, by the way, these are fucking, these are just crazy numbers. Uh, uh, the Warriors outscored teams by 13 points per 100 possessions in the playoffs in 2017. And they outscored teams by 11 points per 100 possessions in the playoffs in 2018. So that gives you some perspective on how ridiculously good those Warriors teams were. Uh, but the Nuggets are the highest net rating team since then at plus eight. Trivia time. Who do you think was the second best team behind the Warriors since 2018? The answer is the Lakers. In 2020, they were plus seven in net rating in that postseason run. Now, like I said earlier, part of it was the talent they faced. Again, they just by virtue of the Bucks having that Giannis injury and just kind of being out of rhythm and falling apart and the Celtics regressing so much defensively, they just didn't have to face any of the top eight records in the in the in the league this year. That's not Denver's fault. Again, you face who's in front of you, but I do think this will probably be the most dominant playoff run that this core will face. I do think they'll face bigger challenges in the future, but to me, that's exciting. That, to me, is what's fun about basketball. Like, I talked, you guys know how big of a LeBron James fan I am. Uh, 2020 was LeBron's most dominant playoff run. They never got threatened. They never trailed in a series after game two. Um, he His scoring and efficiency numbers were completely off the charts. It, literally, by far, his most efficient postseason. Averaged 30 on something crazy, like 67% true shooting in the finals. LeBron was just ridiculous in that entire playoff run. And they kicked everyone's ass. And they went through a lot of big names, just like Jokic did, right? Like, went through Damian Lillard, went through James Harden, went through Nikola Jokic, went through Jimmy Butler. It was a dominant playoff run from LeBron. 
But when you're looking at LeBron's four best championship runs, like that's last place probably in terms of just the level that he got to. Because one of my favorite things about sports is when things are stacked against you and there is some adversity and your team actually isn't way better than everybody, these superstars have to dig deep and they reach something that's like another level of greatness that's inside of them. And that's what's so exciting to me is like Jokic has another level he can get to. You saw it a little bit in clutch situations in this playoff run. So Nikola Jokic attempted field goals at a rate of 28 per 36 minutes when the score was within five with less than five minutes left. So in clutch situations, Nikola Jokic attempted shots at 28 per 36 minutes. So he was way more aggressive when games were close late. In those situations, Jokic shot just 39% from the field and 17% from three. So as you know, when things get tough, when things really bog down, efficiency tanks because it's harder to score in those situations. There will be playoff runs in the future where I think Denver will face better teams and Jokic will have to be better. And that's what's crazy. He will be. I think that when we look back at Jokic's career, when it's all said and done, he will have some playoff runs that are like that, where he had to down 3-2 because, you know, like, for instance, 2012, right? Chris Bosh pulls an abdominal muscle, misses the Pacers series. They're down 2-1 in Indy. LeBron drops 40 in game four to bring it back to Miami 2-2. Bosh comes back in the Celtics series, coming off the bench. He's a shell of himself. KG's kicking his ass. They're down 3-2 in the series. Wade's knees acting up. They don't have this overwhelming talent advantage. LeBron goes on the road in game six, down 3-2. It scores 45 to bring it back to Miami for game seven. Like Those are those moments that I think are – like the dif- there's a difference between a dominant playoff run and like you know it, a truly impressive playoff run in terms of individual greatness in face of adversity. And So I'm not penalizing Jokic in any way, shape, or form there, but I do think Jokic will have other playoff runs in the future where he's forced to dig deeper and do more, and I'm excited to see what level he can reach when he's on that level because you just don't know what a player's capable of until you see them there, right? Like, like Kyrie gets traded from the – and I'm just using LeBron as an example because he's my favorite player, and I know Jokic is your guys' favorite player, Denver Nuggets fans, and this is kind of the moments that I'm excited for you guys that I got to enjoy rooting for LeBron James. In 2018, Kyrie Irving gets traded. They don't have a talent advantage against their opponents. LeBron, 34-9-9 and in the postseason, 62% true shooting. He had eight 40-point games, a 50-point game. So you get the point. Like You get to see like this other level of individual greatness when the adversity goes up. Uh, and who knows? Maybe this Denver team is so damn dominant. And maybe Jokic is so much better than his peers that he never has those moments. And if he does that, like, trust me, guys, if Jokic just rips through the league for the next five years and racks up three to four titles and never looks bothered, that's where you're in MJ territory. That's like Michael Jordan in the 90s where he was never threatened, but it's because he was just so much better than everybody for so many years. I don't think this particular season is proof of that in concept. I think it needs to be over several years. Um, but I am really curious to see what happens over the course of the next uh, half decade with Jokic and with this Denver team. So in summation, I would say that because LeBron didn't win the title in 2018, I would say that this is probably the most dominant and unstoppable offensive playoff run that I can ever remember seeing. In terms of inevitability, complete and total unguardability, and getting the trophy, I don't think anyone's ever done it better than Jokic in this particular run on the offensive end of the floor. I also think it's one of the most dominant team runs of all time. I think this Denver run is going to be remembered fondly. I said before the finals that I think this Denver team is better than anybody since the Warriors. The net rating data has kind of confirmed that. Um, he uh, Jokic dominated several of his peers along the way. He dominated Carl Towns, Rudy Gobert, DeAndre Ayton, Anthony Davis, and Bam Adebayo. I think he's clearly solidified himself as the best basketball player in the world, and he will be number one on my list when we rank players this summer. I'm just saying that when we look back at his career 20 years from now, I don't think this will be his best playoff run because I do think there will be playoff runs where Denver gets threatened by better teams and Jokic has to reach another level, and I do believe he'll get to that level, and I want to give the proper credit then. I don't want to like pretend this is the greatest thing we've ever seen when I genuinely believe Jokic is going to do better in the future. Jamal Murray. 
what I said before the postseason, if you guys remember, I said one of the biggest things we have to be tracking for Denver in this postseason is can Jamal Murray get back to the star level he was at in the post uh, in the bubble? And that's exactly what he did. He averaged 26, 6, and 7 on 59% true shooting. He shot 40, 40% from three on eight, uh, eight three-point attempts per game. That's like Splash Brothers shit right there. This is the wild part. Pick and roll shot creation. Jamal Murray was the very best pick and roll ball handler in the entire NBA in this postseason. He scored 1.17 points per possession when he shot or passed uh, out of pick and roll this year. 18 players in the postseason ran at least 100 pick and rolls, including passes, and Jamal Murray finished number one. Better than Steph, better than Jalen Brunson, better than Devin Booker, better than James Harden. You guys get the point. And again, obviously Jokic helps, but like I was talking about earlier, nobody cares about in a vacuum. I mean, obviously in a vacuum matters if you're ranking players and things like that, but the bottom line is, is... Jamal Murray's contributions to the Denver Nuggets, regardless of what's happening around him, are equal to that of a star player. And so, in my opinion, that makes him a star player. And I will be ranking Jamal Murray as such when we do our player rankings. I understand some people see that differently, but that's just the way that I see the game. It's kind of like what we talked about with Draymond over the years. Like, yeah, Draymond has some limitations, but strictly with the way he contributes to the Warriors, he contributes at a level that goes far beyond box score contributions. And so... Um, I feel the same way about Jamal Murray. I think he proved himself as a legitimate star. I also think he's primed for a breakout season, and I'm going to save that for our next topic. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. A look ahead for Denver. I obviously see dynasty potential here for several reasons. One, Jokic is the best player in the world, and he's only 28 years old. Two, Jokic is remarkably durable. Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. have dealt with nagging injuries over the years, but you just throw four dudes around Nikola Jokic, and you're winning 50 games. So, honestly, like there's, it's very hard to imagine them slipping too far in the standings, and they can be very deliberate with the way that they manage, you know, like load manage guys like Jamal Murray and, Kate, and uh, Michael Porter Jr. So, like. It's just easy to see them getting a really high seed every single year and being healthy in time for the playoffs. Um, three, Jamal Murray is the perfectly complimentary co-star to Nikola Jokic, and he's on the same timeline. Four, 
The whole starting lineup is locked up for two more seasons. KCP has a player option after next season, but he should be retainable, especially given the number that he's at right now in terms of the ability to add raises, um, as long as ownership is willing to pay. And even if ownership is not willing to pay, he's probably the most replaceable out of the five guys in the, that lineup. Like, obviously, you guys know how much I appreciate KCP, but like Michael Porter Jr. is a 6'10 movement shooter that's tough to replicate anywhere else in the league. Aaron Gordon is like Bam at a bio, but on the wing. That's really difficult to to uh, to uh, replicate. Obviously, Jokic and Murray is impossible to replicate. So, like KCP is like that one guy that like if I swapped him out for a league average two guard at some point in the next two or three years, like Denver's still going to be really good. Um, so, as a result of that, like it's easy to see the core of this group, the main basketball identity of this group, lasting for the better part of a half decade. Um, which is a big uh, element to a dynasty. Continuity is huge. They already had continuity going into this particular postseason run. That's only going to grow over the years. And they have proven playoff traits. They are huge. They score in the paint. So pull-up jumpers are not their bread and butter. It's a supplementary thing for them. And they rebound the hell out of the basketball. Those are all things that are proven to win in the NBA. I think next year in particular has the potential to be their most impressive season from start to finish. There are a couple reasons why. Um, they have the confidence of champion. This is a big thing that Bill Simmons talked about in his basketball book that I really liked. The idea that once you become a champion, it's like the weight of the world is lifted off your shoulders. You have a new confidence. Yeah, there's some other stuff like the disease of more and all those different things. But for the most part, you're at your peak as a basketball player when you feel the confidence of being a champion. And there's no moment that can scare you because you've already succeeded at the greatest moment in basketball. Um, so I think that'll help them a lot too. Jamal Murray in his breakout season. So I talked about this earlier. Um, Jamal Murray, I thought was just dealing with coming off of the bubble in his first season after the bubble. Then he got hurt. Then he obviously missed a season. And it's like this season, he's working his way back into rhythm as he's learning how to play again after the knee injury next year. I think he's going to have his best regular season as a pro. I think he's going to make an all NBA team. I think he's going to make an all-star team. I think he's going to be dominant and available throughout the season. Average close to 23, 24 points a game. I think Jamal Murray's going to have his best regular season as a pro next year. That's going to help Denver a lot. Michael Porter Jr., I think, learned some valuable lessons in the NBA Finals about how important it is for him to defend and rebound and how important it is for him to be able to score by putting the ball on the floor as Miami kind of chased him off the three-point line. I expect him to address that in this offseason. I think like him in particular stands to gain the most this offseason from the struggles he had in the Finals, although he made some huge plays last night. Um... Lastly, the rest of the league, I think, is going to take a couple of years to catch up to what Denver's doing. Milwaukee, I think, needs to completely retool. Um, Boston's best approach is to stay in pat and hope Jason Tatum gets better, which might take a couple of years. Philly's going to retool. Uh, Miami wasn't close. Out west, like, LeBron is aging, so, like, the Lakers need to get much better. I actually view the Lakers still as the best, th the biggest threat to Denver next year. If you look at net ratings, yeah, I know they got swept, but every single one of the four games was closed. Uh, the Lakers had by far the best net rating against Denver. All the other teams kind of got their ass kicked in every single one of the games, it, aside from a couple crazy Devin Booker hot shooting performances, right? Um, but LeBron is aging. He's going to be in his 21st season next year. Like, if he makes it to the Western Conference Finals next year against Denver, he's going to be 39 years old. <laughs> like, 39. Like, are you kidding? You know? Um, and so the Lakers would have to get much better this offseason to make up for that. But, like, maybe Anthony Davis can make some improvements. Again, I see Le the Lakers... That's probably the biggest threat to Denver next year, but I don't view them as much of a threat. Phoenix needs like four more good players, and that's really hard to do in one offseason. Memphis, I don't think, is close. Sacramento's not close. Golden State needs to retool. The Clippers in general, it's just a really tough matchup with Denver. They really struggle with their size because they don't have uh, interior size and rim protection. Um, so really, aside from a massive trade, like a league-altering trade, I really think Denver has a chance to go 60-plus wins and defend their title next year. Um, now, in the long run, I don't view this team as unbeatable, and I do think that uh, I don't view them ripping off three, four championships in a row or anything like that, but I do think repeating is a really, really good chance for this Denver team. So congrats to Nuggets fans. You guys have an awesome team. You guys have an awesome player in Nikola Jokic that I've really enjoyed watching, and the next few years are going to be a ton of fun. Again, like, I think the title is sacred. Um, I know some of you Nuggets fans are frustrated with some of my predictions this year. I feel like I've tried my best to explain them to you. You Like, I have rules. I have rules for my show. I'm always going to favor champions. So, yeah, 
did I really think Anthony Davis was going to play better than Nikola Jokic in the Western Conference Finals? No. I was hoping he'd keep it close, which he didn't. But going into the series, AD's a champion, Jokic is not. For me, that meant something. I understand that for some of you guys, you have different rules and you don't see it that way. That's totally fair. But that's the way I see it. And that same benefit will benefit Jokic in the long run. When Luka next year is having an amazing season and he's in the Western Conference Finals against Denver and all these talking heads are like, Luka's the best player in the series. I'm going to be like, no, Jokic is the best player. He's a champion. Luka's not. That's just my way of kind of working these things out. Um, it was never... It was never a, a, a hate for Jokic thing. I had some Jokic fans say, like, or Denver fans be like, well, why did you have him seven before the season? Again, I told you guys, I don't typically, I typically don't value centers very much. So I had Jokic and Embiid very low, if you guys remember. And I had all wings higher up on the list. Well, guess what? We've learned. Like, I'm, my big thing is like, I, Colin Coward used to say this forever on his show. It's not about getting it right. It's about being, or it's not about being right. It's about getting it right. Like, I don't care about being right. Predictions are silly. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you Nuggets fans. Like, as wrong as I was about Denver, how wrong were you guys about Miami? Did you pick Miami to beat Milwaukee? How wrong were you guys about the Lakers? Like, I know a lot of you guys were really down on the Lakers during the regular season, said things like they're not going to make the playoffs or they're not capable of beating anybody. Well, they made it to the Western Conference Finals, you know? So, like, predictions are silly, and that's fine. This is sports. I love that sports is unpredictable. If it was predictable, we'd all be in Vegas making bets. You guys have heard me say that before. So, like, at the end of the day, it wasn't any insult to Denver fans. It's just the way that I personally make these predictions. I always have favored champions. That's why I had Milwaukee and um, and uh, Golden State as teams that I thought had a better chance to win a title than Denver this year. I favored those teams. The Lakers in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I had seen those two guys win a championship together with good with good role players. So I was partial to that particular team, even with uh, my prediction. I picked the Nuggets in every single round except for the Lakers round. Even there, I was going with NBA history. Every NBA champion in the last several decades has had elite rim protection and an elite defensive front line. And the Lakers did, and Denver did not. Now, I was wrong. I learned. But what we're going to do on this show is we're going to adjust over the years as we learn more information. I used to think centers weren't very valuable. So I had Jokic at 7 and Embiid at 8. But then what happened? Jokic clearly demonstrated that he's better than all the dudes in front of him. So now I'm going to have Jokic at number one. I'm just, I'm just reacting to new information. And, and, I, and that's what I'm going to continue to do over the years. And Jokic, to me, has earned a whole lot of leeway going into next season. I don't care if he's averaging 15 points a game in March. And I don't care if Luke is kicking everyone's ass. To me, the trophy is sacred. To me, everything about what we do in sports is about winning. Now, there are other things in the game that we should enjoy and appreciate, but winning is always the main thing. And if you don't make it sacred, then you cheapen it. And I don't want that. When Jokic is sitting there holding the finals MVP trophy, to me, that moment is so incredibly sacred that if we apply the requisite amount of uh, appreciation and respect to it, it makes it mean something, which is what I always want. I always want it to mean something. I don't want Jokic to be forgotten next year just because he's coasting through the regular season while other dudes are trying hard because they haven't won the trophy yet. That's, that's just the way that we do things on this show. But at the end of the day, like I always have loved this Nuggets team. I've always known they were capable of winning. I, ha I had a list of eight teams that could win the title going in. The, the Nuggets were on that list. I just gave preferential treatment to teams that had won. Now Denver's one of those teams, and they're going to be one of those teams that I favor moving forward. Um, all right, so before we get out of here, I wanted to just kind of shout out you guys. So this is my the end of my third full season covering the league, my second season covering the league with the volume. Um, I take this job very seriously. As you guys know, I devote a ton of time to it. We did more than one show per day during this postseason run. Um, Ryan and I, Ryan uh, Brumley, and we're going to talk about some of the staff here in just a minute, but Ryan uh, uh, was my first producer when I started with the volume. He's become a very good friend of mine. Um, him and I sat down in October, and we were like, what are our goals for this season? 
And we had a really lofty one. We wanted to average over 100,000 views per day on YouTube in the playoffs. And at the time, it seemed insane <laughs> because in the playoff run last year, like we hit 100K a few times, but it was pretty rare. And we certainly weren't averaging anywhere close to that. And uh, it, it was lofty. And But we worked extremely hard at it. And we ended up accomplishing that goal. We averaged over 100,000 views per day in this postseason run. And to me, I'm just, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe that, that the way that you guys care about the way that I want to talk about the game, it, it validates some stuff for me because like, I remember when I got into this business, like so many people were just focusing on drama and focusing on hot takes and debate shows are ruling the the business right now. And like, I just wanted to come in and talk about the game the way that I wanted to talk about the game and keep it about basketball as much as possible while also sprinkling in some of the bigger picture stuff that I've always loved as a kid being a fan of the league. And to see you guys um, return that to me with your support over the course of this year has been a really humbling experience. And honestly, it's been one of the greatest joys of my entire life to build this show and to have your guys' support. And I'm incredibly thankful for you. I'm ex incredibly excited for what we can accomplish in the next couple of years. we got to come up with an even loftier goal for next year uh, when we're sitting in the chair at this point. But I just hope you guys know how much I appreciate you guys. I read the YouTube comments almost every single video. So if you've said... I, I will say, like, this... One of the things that sucks about this job is it's sports, right? Like... It, it, like, let's say, for instance, you're a Denver fan and you didn't like something I said about Jokic. Like, it's just a, it's a basketball opinion, right? Like, it's a basketball opinion. I can't tell you how many times I get direct messages or 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 mentions from people that say awful, awful, awful things to me uh, about a sports opinion. And every single time it was evened out by the hundreds and hundreds of you guys who said incredibly kind things to me and thanked uh, thanked me and 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 told stories about how you've get one of my favorite types of comments to receive is when you guys say that you love the game more because of what I'm saying. It, it, that to me is the best compliment you can possibly pay me because I love the game so much and I want the game to grow and, and to see it grow even just within the context of the show is really, really cool. And so for all of you guys who said kind things to me over the years, uh, over the year and sent me kind direct messages and, and nice YouTube comments, I just want you guys to know how much I appreciate you guys. Um, and I look forward to, uh, continuing this journey with you guys, uh, the team. So Ryan Brumley, like I said, he's our lead producer. He's, uh, been incredibly valuable to me personally and just helping manage the, the grind of the season and help keep me with the positive attitude and obviously helps to kind of focus and funnel my view of basketball into a version of the show that actually works and is successful in the uh um in the modern media landscape paul farrington he's our big youtube guy he again if i'm working two videos a day and three videos a day sometimes and staying up super late he's always staying up super late with me to make sure that that content gets out and puts all the chapter markers in there and does all those things that make the show work so shout out to paul carson breber um he was a big time guest on the show this year. Helps me a lot with some of the nitty gritty stuff that I don't get to spend as much time on, particularly like the draft and some player development stuff. Um, I think he's one of the smartest basketball minds out there. One of the best uh, young basketball minds that we have covering the league. And I was skiing down in Whistler uh, for my wife's 30th birthday when I got a call from uh, one of my bosses when he told me that uh, that uh, Carson and Nerd Sesh was getting picked up by the volume and he had a show and I was so 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 happy for Carson because he just deserves it and um, it's really cool to see him have a show at the volume now as well shout out to Logan Camden as well uh, you two guys are awesome and I'm excited to work with you guys covering the draft next week Josh Rodriguez another guy who helped a lot especially just with filling gaps when guys were in and out of town for vacation. And then Josh Goldman, um, mainly an idea guy, just uh, helping us kind of come up with things to talk about during the season. And then lastly, Mr. Logan Swaim, the head of content here at The Volume, and then Mr. Colin Cowherd uh, for making my dream come true by giving me this opportunity. And every single day I get to talk about basketball, which is uh, like literally I just feel incredibly lucky and blessed to do so, and I couldn't have done it without those two guys. So shout out to the team. Again, like I know it's just me here talking on the camera, but there's a lot of guys behind the scenes that make this whole thing work. 
um, off-season plan. This week, we're doing uh, a Lessons We Learned video probably tomorrow or the next day. We might hit some trade free agency stuff if something interesting comes down uh, over the course of the next couple days, uh, just quickly before I head out of town. I go out of town on Friday to Montana, and I'm going to be gone through next Wednesday. And unless there's huge breaking news, I'm just going to take a break. I'm a little burnt out after how much we worked over the course of this postseason run, so I'm going to take a break. Uh, but we will be back on Thursday next week for a draft show that night, a live draft show. We're going to be doing it with the Nerd Sesh guys and Colin Cowherd, so that should be fun. Um, then free agency on July 1st, it'll be a little weird because I'm out of town in Texas for my cousin's wedding. Uh, I had a bunch of people in my mentions going like, why are you a Cowboys fan and a Lakers fan? Well, I'm a Lakers fan because of LeBron. Um, I'm a Cowboys fan because my entire family is in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, my, uh, uh, both of my older siblings were actually born there. I was born right after we moved to Tucson, but the Dallas Cowboys are a big cultural thing in my family. Um, but I'm in Texas so uh, our free agency coverage might be a little delayed just by a few hours. Like I think July 1st is the is when free agency starts and the wedding's that day. So I probably won't be covering that until the following morning. Uh, then we're doing Summer League. We're actually going out to Summer League. I think the Nerd Sesh guys are coming too. I think Liv Moods is coming. Uh, so we're going to do a bunch of... I think Chris Mannix is out there too. We've got the Blue Wire studio in, in the wind for a couple of days. So we're going to do a bunch of stuff out in uh, um, Vegas for Summer League. Come say hi, too, if you see me. Um, I'll probably be, be down at the UNLV Rec Center playing some basketball if you guys want to come play some pickup. And then I'll be always hanging out in the arena. Uh, just follow me on Twitter. You'll get to see where I'm at. Come by, say hi. Um, I really want to meet some of you guys. And then I'm going out of town for a couple weeks in the middle of July um, to uh, San Francisco for the final Dead & Company show. And then I'm going to Japan with my wife for a week. So we'll miss some time there in the middle of July. But then I'm in town for pretty much the rest of the summer. i got a lot of big plans we're going to be doing all-time player rankings, current player rankings, ranking playoff runs. And then once we get into that second half of September, that's when we'll start our season preview shows focusing on the top teams in the league. All right, guys, another season in the books. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.